Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Faultline Social Podcast. Uh, today I got the chance to talk to Jay McAllister, aka uh, British folk act and singer Beans on Toast. Um, thanks to Jay for coming on, man. It was a really cool chat. We talked about, you know, just kind of how we got into music, um, you know, his early beginnings, that sort of stuff. We have kind of a, a long chat about the kind of work he does, the kind of festivals he plays. Um, spend a little bit of time talking about Boomtown, and uh, that was sadly actually cancelled recently, which is a pretty big British festival, big institution there, but never mind. We'll move on to uh, bigger and better things, hopefully next year. Um, we talk about the upcoming releases that Jay's got as he, uh, he releases a, an album every year on his birthday, which is pretty sick. So he talks a bit about that. He talks about uh, a tour that he's got coming up in December, which will be um, that new material off that album that he does release. So yeah, thanks again to Jay for getting involved. Had a really good chat with him. And yep, thanks everyone out there for listening to this. Hope you enjoy it. Thanks very much. Yeah, so I get. Well, yeah, we'll just uh, just jump into you know. Yeah, do it. Just what what's been going on, man? Like like how? I, oh well, firstly, thanks for for agreeing to do this. This is um really kind of you. Um, so my pleasure. Yeah, but what's been going on, man? Well, you actually called it a very exciting time. Um, mm. I, I, the listeners won't be able to see, but my uh, daughter's butterflies just. Grew, came out of their cocoon. Oh wow! Literally mi- minutes ago. Well, one came out this morning, and the other one came out literally minute minutes ago. My daughter will be sad that she missed it. But if anybody's short of a, I'm not really a pet man, but uh, if you could basically you buy the little caterpillars in a, like a jam jar that comes in the post with all the food inside, and you wait three weeks and you watch the caterpillars grow, and then. You put them in this little net that they also supply and they chrysalis and then you wait another three weeks and then they turn into butterflies and then you let them go. It's like the greatest pet experience <laughs> I've ever had. You literally do nothing apart from observe and then let the animal go free at the end. So, um, and I think it's it's a relative, it's quite a good um, sort of metaphor for how I feel in life at the moment in sort of being in the cocoon and about to emerge as a, hopefully as a beautiful butterfly <laughs> about to burst forth in all your glory exactly and, like, play some sick music yeah man that's actually so apt yeah what a, what a nice little tie-in that's <laughs> that's brilliant you know like you know when you're like you're scrolling at like 2 a.m on your phone i don't know if you do this but i'm just like reading like random posts and stuff and like funnily enough there was this post about butterflies last night and about how caterpillars they've done in like lab tests they can actually remember like stimulus like when they were caterpillars and then after they uh, metamorphose into butterflies so like they jabbed them with electric when they were in the cocoon before and then afterwards they responded they saw the stimulus and they responded right, the same way. okay which is amazing because that means like some part of the brain is still intact even though it's a completely different like creature which is pretty sick yeah definitely the the um when you move the chrysalises they're like they look like i don't know it doesn't look alive obviously and then when you mm. if you kind of you move and they start all shaking and you like you realize exactly what's what's going on in yeah, there. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, they're fascinating. My my daughter's got a real real thing for for kind of insects in general, but um, certainly she we found like a, a cat. It started because we found a caterpillar in the woods last summer, and it was huge. And uh, yeah, I mean, what a brilliant insects! You know, you can lose just, if you're worried about the state of the world. You know, just concentrate <laughs> on a butterfly for a bit. Yeah. Man, you should get her like a, an ant farm or something because apparently those are like similar. And you know, the way you kind of just observe them, like it's just like a glass like perspex thing, like this big. And it's you good see shout, them digging actually. the tunnels, and like it's just like incredible to see, man. Like, yeah, just to see them doing their thing. 
Um, but yeah, good for observation if she's into yeah, that kind good of shout. Man, yeah. Um, anyway, man, this this was super interesting. But like, uh, let's <laughs> let's, let's jump, music, not let's jump into it, man. Yeah, yeah, let's talk about you. Um, so uh, we're kind of like interested to hear about. Um, you know, kind of formative years for musicians and things like that. And uh, obviously, you know, there's exciting stuff coming up in the works as the tour. Um, there's the music that you put out very recently, the double albums and stuff. We're going to get into all that, of course. Um, but yeah, I just really want to know as far back as you want to go, you know, like as that you think is good, like, you know, what was kind of your very early introduction to music and playing and yeah, just, just that first experience, man. How was it? I, I mean, music in general was like... Um... Uh, as far back as my memory will go, you know, my parents were, were, they weren't musicians, but they were, and still are sort of diehard music fans. Uh, my mum was like a, a Beatle maniac, like um, top tier Beatle maniac as well. Um, my dad was a big kind of, kind of raised me on country music, but it was like very important sort of part of our life that just the sort of listening to and participating in music basically uh, although neither of them sort of played an instrument um and i mean i never really my reasons for actually starting you know i just started a band really i was uh I suppose before that, yeah, I mean, I listened, I had quite a weird sort of, I listened to the music my parents gave, played me, and then that sort of, it almost in rebellion to that, I started listening to uh, gangster rap, basically. And, and as as was a huge thing in the 90s, you know, it was a kind of huge breakthrough genre of music, which I would, you know, and I, I really loved it, as did sort of everybody. But And then I had a bit of a crisis of identity because I was writing songs about, bitches and hoes and AK-47s <laughs> and all this. And I was just like a skinny white boy in, in suburban Essex. So we've all been there, man. Don't yeah. we? we all love hip hop. And then you realize like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not like these guys, but I it wasn't really. It. Yeah. But I mean, my, I think the first song that I wrote was like, uh, was a gangster rap. Yeah. And then that sort of, and, and back in, you know, I don't want to sound too old, but back in the day, it was like you didn't really listen to more than one genre of music. If you was going to sort of like you sort of changed what you was going to listen to, it sort of dropped everything else almost. And so I guess around that similar time, it's sort of like I remember the Placebo album was, was quite a big one for me and basically just sort of got into grunge and for kind of want of better of a word sort of guitar music really and then as soon as and then I was like well this seems more like something I could you know we could make yeah to start I mean we started a band called Jellico which was just me and two mates from school and none of us could play an instrument um or had an instrument but that was like that seemed like quite a small mountain to climb for us, <laughs> but it was more important that we just told everyone we was in a band and kind of graffitied the band name all over school. And we did that for ages. You know, we just said we was in a band and then it was like, we're going to have to actually do something. What do you do? <laughs> and uh, and so we, you know, we, we sort of cobbled together some some instruments and, and, and sort of found a place to rehearse and started making music. And I was like, I knew that I wanted to sort of sing in the band, but not because um, I thought I was a good singer or any of that. It was just because I, I knew I wanted to make up the words, basically. Yeah, and I guess I was about 16 then. And that's when I first started writing songs. And 
been writing them ever since basically like I really it's something that I still I don't know what I'd do without it um that kind of the, the magical process of creating something out of absolutely nothing that then can go on to be you know such a powerful entity you know I mean their first songs I wrote were probably absolute pile of shite but they still had they still had sort of strength within um within my my sort of little life then and I mean the band was a was an absolute riot you know we was like throwing shit around it just like it is same as now it's kind of like for me like the best night out is a gig you know that I'm playing <laughs> um and uh, and and that's you know just not necessarily because that's not necessarily sort of egotistical as it sounds it's just like it just lays itself out to be a really good evening as far as you know the amount of people that you'll meet and where you go so I guess it was just for kind of you know I was probably trying to hook up you know I was probably trying to get laid as well probably when I was 16 that must have had some reasons behind behind it yeah I suppose that's sort of where it all started I mean the band fell apart a good we did all right as the band you know we we did like a John Peel session and we released an album I used to sing in a uh, high-pitched American accent which is quite far away from what I, do, what I do now but again it was kind of like everybody was sort of doing it in the, I sort of thought it was how I sung I guess and, that was uh, the placebo thing there right because that's placebo, like placebo yeah and it was just that yeah yeah, 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 yeah that's the vibe yeah <laughs> <laughs> but um uh, and it's stuck. I think the, the it, it. I mean, Jellico plays obviously a very crucial sort of part to play in the kind of creation of Beans on Toast, almost. And I think the reason that when I did start writing the Beans on Toast songs, it was like so English, you know, so like all right, mate, was probably <laughs> me just sort of like still trying to like find my way back to myself from this sort of like American grunge dude that I'd been sort of making myself out to be. Yeah, but it's just something I've always done since I was a teenager. Yeah. You know, it's just been writing songs and, and trying to play them to people, basically. Yeah, definitely, man. I, I mean, and it's, you know, when you said about like the the gangster, like the hip hop, like obviously that's like a style you try and emulate, like the American rock. That's like a style that you try to emulate when like you're young or whatever, because it's what you're listening to. I don't know about you, but because a lot of the music I listened to growing up, like it feels weird to sing in like a British accent it just doesn't even though like huge rock stars are like British like the Stones the Beatles whatever mm -hmm. like it just there's almost like this like transatlantic blanket that gets put over these like big big songs which is funny but um yeah I think it definitely like it takes courage to like sing in that like a very accented way I still think like there's is I've never been good at singing other people's songs but there's every now and then a kind of a songwriter comes about that I really like that also um, they do the kind of same free chords that I do. And there's a, a one of my favourite songwriters at the moment is a guy called Tyler Childers. And uh, it just so happens that I can play his songs on, on guitar. So it's, it's not something I never, I normally get to do, but I, uh, um, you know, and obviously with a lot more time at home. And I'll sit now, I mean, I've never recorded because I'll sit and sing his songs <laughs> in, uh, you know, in this kind of twangy, sort of in, in his style, basically. Um, but it's just, you know, I just love the songs. You just kind of get into a bit of a, bit of a mood from it. I mean, it's, it's being inspired, isn't it? You know, but I think it was um, certainly when I, when the band split up and I realised that I was going to do what I do do now, it was a case of... Uh, 
uh, of finding out who you know who I was really and and, and representing that, especially because there was going to be well, there certainly ended up being a lot less going on musically. It needed to be about the words and you know and how I said them basically. Yeah, like what what was it about? folk music in particular you know drew you to to that kind of style or was it just kind of the songs you wrote ended up being yeah it was just more I certainly wasn't like I don't think I would have even have been able to tell you what folk music was you know when I when it when I first started it wasn't like oh let's do a folk thing like right I mean I, I obviously had this kind of built-in influence from the kind of country music that I was growing up with. And, I, and around the time I was, I had a big obsession, and this only worked out in hindsight, with um, a live John Prine album where he he does a lot of talking and a lot of gags in between the songs and the stories and stuff like that. But uh, the, the way it actually came about was I was writing songs on an acoustic guitar, as I had done for a long time. And I had a collection of songs and the, I had the name Beans on Toast. And I knew it was going to be. I knew that I was wasn't going to be singing an American accent anymore. <laughs> and uh, um, and I, my my initial plan, I think, was to sort of start a band called Beans on Toast. And I was writing songs for for that. And I was going to, you know, just because that's the only way that I'd sort of known how to do it. And then it, I, I basically played. I just got up on stage at Glastonbury one year in a kind of late night sort of shisha tent almost like some dude just left his guitar and said if anybody wants to go and I was like I've got all these songs you know I'll just try one out and got up there and it was like I mean it it, it just couldn't have gone any better halfway through the first song I realized that I wasn't going to need a band at all and it was very much you know singing songs about getting hammered at a festival to a bunch of hammered people at a festival so it was there was uh, reasons that it worked but um it was it, straight up it was like by the time I'd finished that I was like that is you know that's what I'm gonna do and I was you know so lucky that I did have that kind of epiphany really because at most of the things that I've done and the reason the you know the benefits of being a solo musician in kind of today's climate not necessarily how it was like 15 years ago but in in today's climate as far as sort of you know being able to rely on on sort of music as an income the only way I've been able to do what I do is one I work so cheap and I do everything on my own you know on my own steam and my own decisions and I'm I just I'm pretty easy you know I fucking sleep anywhere I'm traveling for years I just said yes to everything you know and it'd be hard pushed to find one other person with the kind of the want to do that for for so little let alone three or four (laughs) you know and it's only I mean now I could I'm in a position where I can get a bunch of musicians and and do a tour and everybody can get fed and and paid and whatnot but that wouldn't have been the case for like the first 10 years of me doing it you know just wouldn't have wouldn't have been able to make it stretch and and then even you know like just even the other side you know as far as writing and releasing and recording music just being able to make all the decisions myself you know everything I have a very small kind of team as well i mean now i release all my music i work with basically a booking agent you know i don't have any management or anything like that me and me and adam the booking agent we make all the decisions ourselves and just kept it small and really diy and that's what's meant that it's it's lasted this long and managed it's why i've sort of managed to keep doing it basically so i mean who knows you know maybe if i did start a band we would have turned into you know number one pop sensation but i doubt it <laughs> no i think what you're doing is a lot more sustainable and a lot more 
interesting and cohesive than the modern model um you know on this podcast like i talk all the time with mike because i have a couple of other guys who do this with me and like we always are saying about the modern state of music and you know this and that about how it's hard to be an artist these days but there's more access to tools than ever but it's like it, it seems to be harder to get the even though the technology is there right and it's easier to get your music out there it's harder for it to make traction mm. and i think that so, like for example something you've done where it's literally just a decade of playing shows and that's just how i've built my name that is just the way to do it man it's hard but it's pays pays dividends yeah i mean it's definitely the consist the, the consistency i think has, yeah. has definitely helped me and 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 you know for the record it wasn't hard at all it was fucking an absolute joy yeah you know i loved every minute of it so but yeah you know i i, I did it wasn't something that i that i sort of it, it wasn't like oh this would this is the only way i can financially make this work so let's do it like that it was a lot of things i've done through it through my kind of you know, through my art, I've literally just managed to fall on my feet and the fact that it happened to be quite a, a good business, a sort of savvy decision as well. Uh, more and more that's been happening. But I think that's, I don't know, it's, I guess as long as you concentrate on the art, then, you know, hopefully the other shit should fall into place. It certainly has done, yeah, like I said, with little moments like that of realisation and just, just going it solo. I mean, even with like sort of Spotify and stuff like that, I know that there's, a, a, a big kind of discussion needs needs to be had about how people get paid but the only sort of person it might work for is a solo musician who owns all of the rights to their music <laughs> um yeah. which is somehow what i've done so i mean no yeah no position to complain and, and i think it's also let it be known that that it can be done as well it's quite important oh you don't sure, want to don't yeah. want to put put anybody off from no. you know making music or being creative because constantly you hear left right and center that there's no money in it or blah blah this and that you know it's like as much as that shit needs to be said you know in order to try and right the wrongs and try and make it a bit fairer you know at the same time you don't want to dampen people's spirits you know it's like i've you know i, I couldn't encourage people more to you know to to make good art and make good music and get out there and and find you know find a fucking crowd you know, like, and just find a way to, to make it work. It's better than, I don't know, going to a shopping centre, isn't it? <laughs> it is, man, yeah. And you, like you, 100%, you are correct. Um, and it just so happens that, you know, the kind of folk music, if you, if you want to call it folk, I, I suppose... No, I do, no, I do now, music, yeah. Yeah, um, you know, that it naturally plays to that, having an audience to it. I mean, all music does, but folk is, it's like, at the core, it's like storytelling, right? That's what's the main element of the music, I would say. So, Well, it was another thing. All this, the simplicity of it all really became apparent during lockdown as well. It's like live yeah. streams. It's like where everybody's, you know, how do you do, if you're a 12-piece reggae band and you're all in lockdown, you know, how the fuck do you do a live stream? But for yeah. me, it was like I can literally, I didn't need anything. I just did it straight through my phone. And, you know, like the, the mic on that worked. And it was like and what people saw was what they'd normally get at a beans or toast gig anyway so it was like instantly relatable and it was like and they just you know worked so again it's that kind of like this simplicity of it all just kind of uh, sort of making it, it it sort of stronger uh, and that that storytelling element that is kind of integral um you know is that inspiration does that come from 
is it like uh, I know you, you sing a lot about you know what's happened in your own life your own experiences but you know is there like the element of wanting to like do you ever read about something interesting and you're like oh I kind of want to like write a song about that it's like passing stories down through the generations is that kind of how you approach it or is it is it very a very personal thing um I mean it is there's there's, there's this a storytelling aspect that is normally, I, I find if I've got a story, it's not necessarily in the song. It will normally be like, hey, th- this is a story about why I wrote the song, almost. Mm. But um, certainly as far as, I mean, as far as sort of passing on information, quite I've got a handful of songs that um, almost, like, like for example, I've got a song called Take Your Shit Home With You about clearing <laughs> up after, after yourself at festivals. And yeah. that was, that like Boomtown Festival, who I've, you know, I've been playing there for years and I've got a great relationship with, with that festival. And they kind of got in touch and was like, we're doing this kind of, uh, you know, a campaign to try and stop people leaving the festival site in such a mess. And would you like to get involved? Can you write a song about it, basically? And, you know, stuff like that is epic because it's like, what is someone doing my job for me as well? You know, like, here's a thing to write a song about. Yeah. So I could just yeah. go right ahead and do it. I read an extremely inspirational book called The Book of Trespass, which is about rights to roam and the kind of land ownership in England and how we're only given access to like 3% of rivers and all these. Like, I learned more about England from this book, from this one book, that than, uh, than I have almost, you know, my whole life living here. It was absolutely like mind blow, it just opened my eyes to so many things. I was like halfway through the book and I knew that I would write a song about it. And I did. And I've recently been in touch with the the guy that wrote it. And it looks like we're going to, you know, sort of do a bit of a collaboration and kind of help, you know, get this, get the song to help get the word out and stuff like that. So I suppose that's very kind of sort of old school, traditional folk, especially because the, one of the aspects of the book is like, it's about the commons and how, you know, England used to have the commons, which was a where everybody could go and be eccentric and create art and tell stories and also create unions and stuff like that. And it's like how they're all, and, and folk music was the music of the commons. So it felt nice to be able to, kind of tap into that for this new song yeah man that's ah that has like sparked some um memory about there's like some poetry i was like studying a level english like many years ago and that like this guy this poet guy he was like in the 1600s i can't remember the name of the guy now but that was literally every poem he wrote was about the privatization of land and like the right to ramble and roam and stuff yeah that that is like a very old like english like yeah well and it and it's like all of the all of the sort of you know be it the lake districts or anywhere you do you can go for a nice walk nobody gave that's that you know that mm. was probably your man writing poems about yeah. it and you know yeah. and people actually sort of demanding access yeah. to the land so it is just a i mean any i would you know strongly advise anybody who's listening to read the book of trespass by nick hayes because it really will open your eyes and they're doing they've just launched a um a big campaign about uh, i think it was yesterday they launched it where it's like a day of mass trespass and uh They've printed out signs to go over the like um, no trespassing and it says everybody welcome and uh, like you know and it's all, it's very well thought out as well. It's all about um, not only leaving no trace but actually like being productive on the on the land, like picking up litter as you go, like learning to res- respect the land. But so yeah, you know, there's with my songwriting, there's some songs will kind of hone in onto a, a, a specific thing and then you know we'll use the song to to kind of translate the message 
Yeah, nice man. I, I mean, as you brought um, Boomtown up, um, I, ju- I obviously like today very sadly. Yeah, that exactly. Cancelled um, literally a few hours ago. They like I read the article or whatever on the BBC. There's something about the the insurance couldn't be underwritten. Um, so if if the event couldn't go ahead because of COVID, they would they would have no way to recoup their losses. Basically, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, obviously you're like a staple. You play that that festival quite a lot i'm actually wearing my boomtown t-shirt yes today yeah, yeah. in, in, in right. honor in memory yeah. yeah um so i've never been to that festival actually but i've heard a lot about it and like i mean just for my own curiosity i suppose like um could you like tell me like a bit about it and like what are your thoughts about the, the cancelling and everything obviously you must be quite gutted but yeah i mean i can understand why boomtown would do it on for a few reasons i mean one because it, when you i think the big kind of festivals that are like an, an institution like Boomtown is, you can see why, you know, like they, they'll go on forever, you know, or as long as they want to. Um, and so taking another year out to make sure to, for the longevity of it all, I think small, smaller events and there'll be some events that, that won't be able to afford to, to step back for another year. And we'll have to, you know, fingers crossed that, that it can go ahead and, and pile all that things into it. But I mean, especially Boomtown because it is, it's such a sort of diverse festival. It's huge, but it's made up of lots of tiny, small little parts. So even like the, the kind of how, you know, the idea of sort of being at a festival and sort of spreading, you know, the, it, it being a spreading event, there's millions of tiny little venues where you go in and out of loads. It's not like, like everybody stands and watch one band on a big stage and you spread out. It's all about the moving around. And it's just, you know, it's just, I think the fact that Boomtown does put so much attention to detail in into the site and how people move around and all that is probably what means that they that they can't go ahead because it's such an intricate mm, intricate yeah. design and yeah but you know they'll they're all they're they're a very clever team of people behind the festival I'm sure that they'll when they do come back it will be you know something extremely sort of seminal and almost yeah. you know with this amount of time to to consider i'm sure they're kind of rewriting the rule book you know as as we speak which could you know we've got to try and flip this around and try and make it as exciting as possible in certain aspects haven't we? and i think if anybody can can come up with some some sort of banging plans for the future it's probably them guys yeah so it's sort of like would it be fair to say that like it's the kind of our equivalent of like the burning man festival in the way that it's like very community focused and like there's a lot of like different stuff that goes on there it is i mean it's it's its own thing i mean burning man has its own sort of set of rules and stuff like that i mean the one boomtown is is a celebration of underground music i can't see anybody who who plays boomtown ever having a better show and not small acts by any by any means but it, it you know it takes a kind of an act that's really good at doing what they do and puts them on a platform that will that is perfect for them and it's definitely got the community spirit and it's just you know it's 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 touched upon the hearts of the kind of like of the people that go it's you know it it is it's got that kind of lawless sort of rave aspect to it which i think a lot of festivals perhaps like don't have sometimes festivals can can feel quite sanitized and quite sort of rule-based and boomtown and and again just with the lineup you hear you see a lot of festival lineups that can be quite 
samey almost and it's and that's not me knocking other festivals at all but there's x amount of bands that you would imagine to headline a festival and then boomtown just pull out someone that you wouldn't even imagine would be in the uk playing a festival you know or take like the streets and put them as a headliner or like lauren hill and diane wood something like that and it's like and they just put on the most amazing shows and it's on probably the, the you know brilliant stages for the um for the acts, I remember through this very strange um, sort of meeting, I was hanging out with and actually made made, made friends with um, God. Who was it? It was one of Bob Marley's sons. I forget. It was maybe it was Ziggy. So I, not him, but his manager. I was basically his manager was in the UK, and I was doing some shows with a band that he also managed. And I was hanging out with his manager, and, I, and they were playing Boomtown. So I rushed down. Because I was on like really early, but I was like, oh, look, he said, come and meet, you know, come and meet Ziggy. And I was like, yeah, all right. So, <laughs> yeah, hanging down there and didn't actually get to, to smoke a spliff with Ziggy Marley. <laughs> but but after the show, I was talking to the manager and he was like, yeah, but I took, and, and I'd sort of, the stage they play on the Lion's Den is like such an incredible build. It's like an Aztec temple, basically. And I kept on mentioning with waterfalls on the side. And I mentioned this a few times to the, to the manager who every time sort of looked at me funny. And I was like, have you looked at the stage from the front or have you only looked from on the stage? And he was like, oh, we haven't been front of house. No, I haven't looked at it. And I was like, come on, come and have a look at this shit. And he walked out and, he, and he, as soon as he saw it, he was like, I gotta go. I gotta go and get the band <laughs> and tell them they can see this because I don't think any of them had sort of witnessed exactly what you know. Like they was right in the middle of it and it was all going around and it was like, um, yeah, exactly. They didn't know like, what they were in for. Yeah, yeah, yes. that's wicked. That's amazing, man. Yeah, that's so cool. All right. Oh well, thanks for like chatting about that and like, yeah, definitely, man. I hope Boomtown like comes back bigger and better than ever. Um, and I'm, yeah, I'm sure yeah. that events will happen this summer mm, as yeah, well. I think it's worth also worth saying. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I've played a gig in the last two or three years where someone hasn't talked about Boomtown. That is the level of importance that it is. Because I mean, it for me, it's my biggest show. You know, the amount of people that turn up to see me at, at, at Boomtown is probably like triple that i would expect at any festival for some reason i've been playing the same slot i always play at three o'clock sunday afternoon and it's just turned into a bit of a kind of tradition you know and yeah. uh and and because of that you know yeah when i tour every night people would be like oh, i'll see you at boomtown every year blah, 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 blah. And it's like yeah it's really you know as a festival should you know you should go to a festival and come back knowing that you've had you know the best weekend of your life basically and that's clearly what they're doing you know, yeah, that is what they're providing. For sure, man. Well, we're talking tours, we're talking playing live shows. So um, there's something scheduled in the works for you, kind of like a, not a mini, it's not a mini tour, you know, it's it's like 15 days. The idea is that you're you're kind of playing smaller, more independent venues. Was, is, is that like something you've wanted to do for a while? Or is this like a logistical thing coming off the back of, you know, pandemic, you know, the shows can't be too big? Um, like what's um, I think, I mean, to be honest, that is just a pretty standard tour for me. Um, okay. yep. the, the tour in December, as far mm-hmm. as in that kind of, you know, outside of the major cities. I mean, I know there's like Liverpool and stuff like that on there, but um, f- f- for the last, you know, four, I do the same thing every year, basically. Yeah. And for the, I'll always, around an album, I'll always do two tours. And one of them will be smaller venues in smaller cities. And one of them will be bigger venues in bigger cities that, you know, so far we've announced the, the, the first half of that tour. Okay. And that's in December. 
remember. And they are all independent menus. And I kind of made a point about posting about that. But it wasn't, that is, you know, every single one of them venues, bar one, I've played, you know, many times, a lot of the venues. And I generally, you know, got, again, with a consistency, I have a tendency to do the same thing. You know, I really like it. And yeah, it's not, um, it's not strategic or, or anything to the pandemic. It's just, you know, like that is the, the tour that's happening. It just happens to to be in independent venues because that is kind of, that's my playing field, basically. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool, man. Yeah, nice. Um, obviously, looking forward to it. <laughs> mm. um, you know, like what's uh, like? How are you like prepare? I mean, how do you normally prepare for a tour and stuff? Uh, I mean, you've got a couple of new uh, the new albums that released um, recently. Um, you actually have like a load of albums, right? Obviously, and we'll talk uh, maybe after this. We'll talk about how you release an album uh, every year on your birthday. Um, how do you like prepare for a tour when you have <laughs> you have a lot of songs to to like play, right? So how do you choose what gets on the set list? Like, what, how do you approach it, man? That's two things, isn't it? Because like the the tour in December will be around the new album, right? Okay. Oh, is Basically. that how you do it? You do it, yeah, on, yeah. On so that will okay, exactly, yeah. yeah. So okay. there'll be and from that there'll be you know like it'll be new album heavy with with a kind of you know array of songs from the back catalogue i mean i find with albums there's generally um there'll be like two sometimes three songs from an album that stay in the it, it sort of in the box if you know what i mean that that i can then pull out forevermore like there's songs in my back catalogue that i would if i wanted if you wanted me to play now i'd have to relearn them and get the words up you know and i yeah. would have no idea where to even start but there's you know x amount of songs from my first album right up through to my most recent few that i would just that always get an outing basically i don't you know i don't know whether that's chosen by me or by the the gigs that i've played in the past where you could just feel the ones that people want i mean there's always an element of any songs i haven't played that you want to hear you know you get, you get that at every gig with you know leveling degrees of success as opposed to what's songs people pick up on but yeah you know and it's like little things will crop like old songs will find will sort of find their way back i've got quite seasonal songs as well like i've got a song about a full moon at the beginning of british summertime which you know would have been great last month and and, and stuff like that um and then I've, I've also got a lot of songs that had a very short shelf life like if you talk about kind of political events be it brexit or something like that you know it's like no one really wants to hear about it once it's passed fair enough i don't want to sing about it either so there's a lot of songs that you that i write knowing that they won't have a you know they won't be around forever and that's fine as well. I think that's sort of part of the parcel of being, of constantly writing and releasing is, you know, the idea that it is. Generally, if you get in, a, if you come into Watch We Play, I'd like to think that it will be kind of quite fresh music, you know, fresh songs about the world around us um, with, you know, for want of a better term, some old classics thrown in as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and of course, you know, the, this year is a little bit different because, well, the last, I don't know actually how long it's been, I've lost track of time, but obviously yeah, we've, I mean, we've all been inside and we all know this. Um, so, and there was, you know, the two the two records, there was uh, Me Deep in Nostalgia and... Uh, the Unforeseeable Future. The Unforeseeable Future, yeah. And one of those was like, you know, produced like a, an album and uh, yeah, Frank Turner worked on that with you as well. Um, that's kind of more of a full band. And then there was the one that was kind of paired back and you singing like, you know, about your personal experiences. Um, so I think like, would that be something that you want to like take out and do straight away? 
I suppose, because I mean, the other side. Yeah. Uh, the, the the unforeseeable future was a, a, an album, you know, about COVID, and right. um, all of the songs were in one way or another related to the pandemic. And you know, I just hope that I never have to sing them songs ever again. <laughs> well, I was wondering, because... <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm pretty sure that no one wants to hear them. Um, <laughs> you know, maybe in you know, like a few years' time, with you know, some hindsight or whatever. But certainly not now. I don't think that's you know that's not the mood at all, right. you know, for me or for anybody else. And, I, and I, again, I think I kind of knew that when I was writing and put it out. It didn't, the other album, uh, Knee Deep in Nostalgia, was that was the album that was always going to be made. You know, Frank was going to produce it anyway. And I had, I actually had all of the songs that are on the album written before kind of COVID hit last year or certainly before it became kind of reality in our lives. Um, it was just at that time, you know, I was intended to write this nostalgic album about turning 40 and sort of almost autobiographical of my life. And then when COVID hit and I got, you know, I just didn't couldn't didn't really feel like whimsically wandering down memory lane. So I just started writing about the here and now. And then it just ended up being on I couldn't the songs wouldn't marry together. So just did two records basically. And uh, but yeah, I'm quite happy to to bury the unforeseeable future in 2020. One of my first shows back is um at the Clapham Grand in London, and that is a rescheduled album launch from December last year that has been moved. I think four times. <laughs> I'm always like optimistically yeah. putting it a bit too keen. And now it's been moved back to, it's on the 19th of uh, of June. So it's a socially distant gig on the weekend before, you know, all being well, you know, that restrictions are lifted and whatnot on the 21st. So quite a, potentially quite a seminal weekend for, uh, for the country. And, you know, on that, on the album launch, I guess I should play one or two <laughs> songs from the albums that it's supposed to be launching. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's a couple of songs on on Knee Deep in Nostalgia that will now sort of r remain. But what I really want to do is get out there and be playing all my brand new songs. But, you know, I'll, I'll try and keep a lid on at least some of them for a bit. Because I know <laughs> so, yeah, well, it's just like, obviously, you know, it's, God, I mean, it has been a year, hasn't it? Obviously, it's going to be mm. another album out, man. And yeah, we'll we'll talk about that. So uh, we've briefly mentioned, you know, you release something every year um, on your birthday, typically. Um, I just wondered, is that is that like a specific reason for that? Do you kind of see it as um, is it like a time capsule, or like a record of things you've done, and or, or is it just like a nice way of being productive? Like, uh, yeah, I mean, the, both of those. It was never a plan. Again, it was one of them things that just sort of like. Uh, it just sort of worked even though there wasn't much thought went into it it was the first album was going to be released off the back of a tour when I was supporting Frank Turner actually many moons ago and it was like and it was one you know it was around my birthday so I was like I'm just mm. going to put it out on and I think it was also like a sort of a bums on seats thing because at the time not many people would come to my gigs but people would come to my birthday party I figured <laughs> so I did an album launch birthday party and sort of doubled doubled it out and then a year later there was like another album was ready and mm. it was like well should we just do it again on the same date and then same again the next year and it was like if you do something three times it sort of turned in turns into a thing and then yeah. i started seeing the kind of benefits of it of one being able to plan so far in the future like i know that i will be touring in december because i know there'll be an album out i know that i need to 
book a studio and get recording for around September. So if I meet, because every album I've done with a different producer and different musicians. So if I meet someone that I think it might be a good person to work with, I can just say, what are you doing in September? Do you want to make an album? You know, which a lot of people are like, well, and it's like, but I can, I, I, I can plan that far ahead basically because I know it'd be. And the other thing that's worked is it just seems to be my natural output. Um, you know, I've never struggled to to kind of to get an album together, you know, and it never feel like I'm waiting around too long. So it's just like I guess when I when I did it was like 10 albums like a few years ago. And and if ever there was a sort of time to sort of jump off the train and, and rethink about how to release my music, it, it would have been then. But I just wouldn't really know where it's like, well, when would you put it out? Like yeah. so we've got it, we kind of got it down pan. And uh, and it's kind of just not broke, don't fix it, and it does, you know, adds a bit of a, a bit of again that sort of tradition and the consistency, which I think you know appeals to people, or certainly you know that like works from where I'm sitting. So yeah, just keep, just keep on doing it, you know, to see how long I can fucking do it for. It is, man, because like it's it's just like uh, without you know sounding too corporate, it's like on brand, man. Okay, so like this is like a folk musician. He releases an album every year on his birthday. You're like, I didn't know that. That's so cool, man. Like the first time someone here, like the first time I heard about your music, obviously go to Wikipedia, check everything out. He releases an album every year on his birthday. That's sick. That's cool, man. Like it's a bit of a story. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And it's it's that storytelling, man. It's like yeah, the, the, the other thing as well, which uh, I didn't foresee happening, but is a huge benefit is with festivals and and kind of playing festivals. Like I said, I've played Boomtown every year for the past eight or nine years, and. Mm. And, and there's a lot of festivals that I do that with. There's a whole handful of festivals that I play year in, year out, and not many acts do that. Mm. And I think that's one element is because a lot of the bookers don't really see me as a real act. They're like, oh, it's just beans, you know, put him on. Uh, but then there's also, like, that they know that there will be new music. It won't be... I mean, in, in, in many respects, it will be the same old shit because it'll still be up, me up there, you know, doing my do. But there will certainly be new songs and there'll be, you know, I certainly wouldn't have been quiet between one festival and another. There would have been a whole album campaign out there. So it certainly helps with with that, the, with the repetition elsewhere. Yeah, you certainly fill um, a, a niche, if you want to call it, in the, in the music industry, in the market. Like, and when it comes to realistically getting booked to, when they think about people they want to book for a gig, like you just, you just fill a role, man. Like you do, like your music like speaks to people. You have enough of a following that people know you're going to turn up. The other niche that I did fulfill was like, cause last summer in between lockdowns, there was like a tiny little period where you could do gigs, but it was like people had to be sat down in groups of six outside. Yeah. And I did so many gigs because it was like, <laughs> promoters were like who can play to people sat down and we still got to sell booze it's like yeah. we need drunk people that want to sit down it's like yeah. he's on toast <laughs> yeah. that was that was my niche the phone yeah. just kept ringing last summer it's like all right i've played in like you know uh, sheep farms and car parks and all sorts you know anybody that wanted it so man that's it man that's but that's so nice like that's the grassroots stuff you've been doing all your all your career all your life so yeah it's it's sick that you can still do that man so, I mean, I just want to ask you, what have you kind of been listening to um, lately? Is there anything kind of new that you've um, dove into? I mean, you did mention that s singer right at the start. Uh, Tyler Childers, yeah. Tyler yeah. Childers, yeah. I mean, he's a massive, he's like the sort of the new hope for country music. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, he's he's great. Um, I mean, my favourite kind of songwriters, are, yeah, I guess 
Brent Cobb. I really like a guy called Gabe Lee. A lot of kind of American stuff. Probably my favourite UK band at the moment is the Bad Boy Chiller Crew, um, okay. who are in- incredible. Um, it's kind of like, I think they did a thing on like Vice and stuff like that, and it was almost written off as like a joke like sort of goldy looking chain as if it's kind of comedy right. yeah. it's not man they're like bradford mcs basically and they are the skills are incredible and it's like um it, it reminds me of sort of old school sort of happy hardcore tunes almost and and you can tell they're just like they're the real deal these guys they're just yeah. like hard partying and they've become like the kings of bradford we've always got like everyone's copying their haircuts and their style and stuff like that and they're just I absolutely love it. Like, um, and uh, I mean, that's, you know, you couldn't get any further away from, from what I do. But yeah, I love it. I literally love Bad Boy Chiller Crew forever. Bad Boy Chiller Crew, man. Yeah. All right. Cool. I'll check them out. I'll, I'll Google it. I'll see what's up. Yeah. Thanks, man. Um, <laughs> so obviously, you've got your own shows coming up. And aside from those, you know, because you, as you say, one of your favorite nights out is just to go and play one of your own shows and have a great mm. time. Um, so, what kind of gig or musical event, uh, like if you could just go as a spectator, you know, I, and this could be from the past as well, actually. Is there anything you kind of regret that you missed out on that you never saw? Or is there a, any particular band in the world that you could kind of want to see right now, if you could? Ooh, God. Um, I mean, Bad Boy Chiller Crew, Bradford. <laughs> I'd love <Yeah>. that, yeah. <laughs> actually. Yeah, <laughs> doing, a, doing a hometown show. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd go for that, being as that's on, on the tip of my tongue. I'm sure I'm going to sort of kick myself later when I realise <laughs> I you know, could have gone to see The Doors playing in LA in 1963 <laughs> or something. But, yeah. Um, um, but yeah, I'll go with go with BBT. Oh man, yeah. <laughs> well, tell Jim Morrison, sorry, he's not coming. Yeah, sorry, Bradford, it is. Uh, wicked man, yeah. And uh, obviously, you know, do you have any of the? You mentioned you teased there was some new music coming up. Um, is there anything you can tell us about that? Like the obviously the release is going to be. Yeah, it's probably a bit time. early. It's all still yeah. forming in my okay. head. Yep. Um, but it, but one thing, you know, it will be out in in December on in December first. Yeah. And I have got I've got um, as well as that London guy, London show at Clapham Grand. I've got a few other socially distant gigs. I've got one in Froome and one in Brighton coming up. And there's like a few tickets left for them, kind of matinee shows and stuff. So. All right, involved. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And everyone, everyone goes. I'm sure everyone who knows you knows about all these things already. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's good to say, man. Um, also, just before we end, I briefly read uh, that you put out a book a couple of years ago, and that's like collections of stories from your like songwriting experiences, life on the mm-hmm. road. Um, yeah, yeah, it's called drunk, drunk folk stories. Yeah. Drunk folk stories. Yeah. So if anyone's interested in that, go check that out, man. And yeah definitely man and that's that's all i had for you today man we're coming up to the hour so that's pretty perfect timing wicked well thank you fio no thank you jay thanks no yeah perfect thanks for coming on man